Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to do this podcast with us. You're welcome. I'm really excited to have you because you bring a unique perspective as a revenue leader. So I want to start with kind of talking about your career journey. Can you kind of explain to the listeners how at one time you were actually a buyer of enterprise technology, and now you're sitting on the other side leading enterprise technologies that are actually selling to buyers that you once sat in that seat before. Can you explain that journey and and maybe also talk about how that's influenced you as you've now taken on these new roles in sales leadership? Mm, yeah, no, no, great question. Thanks, Rico, for having us. So fundamentally, I think my background, I did a computer science degree. Uh, I spent my first 10 years in IT, did some consulting, worked in telecoms, have worked for startups, uh, blue chips, generally international kind of roles. And I've moved my way gradually from kind of technology more into operations and the commercial roles, sales, the, the, the front, front end of the house, as it were, which has been a phenomenal journey for me. Learned so much along the way. And you know, when you sit in these kind of revenue operations roles and you look at supporting COOs in terms of how to manage you know, the operational side of their business, uh, you definitely are buying software all the time, uh, whether it be Gainsight or Clary or any of the other kind of tools we have in our infrastructure, you know, Seismic, et cetera. You, know, you have a tool set and you're buying a tool set and you're experiencing what it's like to be a, a buyer in that process, but you're also supporting your own you know, go-to-market organization in terms of how to effectively sell. Sell, create a great experience during sales, and then make sure you're, all the post-sales activities are kind of lined up so that you have a good, you know, good customer journey from a customer's point of view. So yeah, so in revenue operations, I think you're both, you know, you're a buyer of technologies, but you're also supporting your organization in how best to sell or drive retention of those technologies, drive revenues and adoption from those technologies that, that have just been sold. sold yeah. Helps you. I would imagine, build up the empathy for that buyer. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting. We were just having a conversation right now, for example, about uh, price increase and you know, what level of price increase should you have at point of renewal? And, you know, just various different philosophies out there. And there's a discussion right now about, you know, not to exceed 8%, for example, being a price increase, you know, philosophy. But then on the other side of the house, when you're buying software, you're like, 8% price increase? You got to be kidding me. There's no way I'm going to pay 8% price increase. So it's, and then you kind of go, well, actually, how do you help the sellers position 8% price increase? If you as a buyer wouldn't, wouldn't ever agree to 8%, like, how do you help the sales organization do that? So it gets into a lot of like the enablement, for example. How do you help enable? a sales team and positioning, you know, price increase, the value, the increased value that you're providing. And it's fascinating when you're sitting again in that buyer situation and you're hearing the sellers position it, you're kind of reflecting back on the playbook that you just developed for your own sales organization on how best to position price increase. And you're like, did that work? Or was that, would I do something different? So yeah, you develop a lot of empathy for the challenges of the sales organization for sure in dealing with, you know, price increases, conversions, consolidations, you know, all the complexity of that customer engagement. Can you talk a little bit about and provide the audience with some context on your RevOp experience? So I, I be- believe you built this up at Carbon Black and, and now where you are today. Uh, I think I'm, this is my fourth time through kind of a revenue operations type role. A little bit before revenue operations became very trendy, as it were, uh, we, we would call it commercial operations or something else, you know, go-to-market operations. I think I've had all three titles, in fact, in, in my background. Phenomenally, from, uh, fundamentally for me, revenue operations is really the bringing together of all the operational teams behind the go-to-market organization. So if you think about you know all those activities around marketing, sales, renewal service, support, you bring all that operational 
grouped together and consolidated into one operational team. And you know, why should you do that? Well, you know, as companies look to transform and accelerate, you know, revenue and improve productivity, when you have all your operational groups aligned to your functional silos and loyalty of functional silos, it's really quite challenging to accelerate change in your business. You know, what I've found in my experience, and I think others have found it now as well, is when, when you take those operational groups and you put them into one operational organization and you stick it up at the COO level and you have an ability now to accelerate uh, the evolution of all your operational infrastructure. Now, well, why is that important? You know, think about things like moving to, you know, uh, AR concepts, you know, annual recurring revenue concepts. It's hard transitioning a business from perpetual to subscription to SaaS. And it requires a lot of evolution in your infrastructure. If, if all that infrastructure is, if that team that's driving that evolution is not aligned on how to do that, it makes it a very difficult, you know, a slower transition and it provides a worse experience for your customer and your employees and your partners. So uh, fundamentally, Bringing all those operational groups together into a revenue operations team, it really helps accelerate transformation in business. It helps accelerate revenues. I focus on revenues and accelerate revenues. And it helps you focus on productivity. You know, how, how do you leverage an operational organization to improve productivity across all of those field groups, not just one or two? You know, you get into a position of being able to balance out your expense across the customer lifecycle, making sure you're, you're moving your investments to provide a great experience, not just in sales, but also perhaps in post-sales. So it gives you a lot of advantages in looking right across that customer lifecycle in terms of how, how your go-to-market functions operate. So I want to peel the onion back a little bit on that RevOps role. What are the actual teams that are underneath you today at PTC as a RevOps leader and what are their responsibilities? You know, I, I think you did a great job at talking about how it's there to kind of be that connective tissue across the mm -hmm. whole revenue organization, go-to-market organization. How does that materialize itself in teams and roles and responsibilities below yeah. you? I mean, you could structure it in various different ways. And I think I've probably gone through three different formations of structures, but fundamentally, how I like to approach it is, first of all, for all the functional leaders, they probably need an operational capability to support them. If you're in marketing, you want marketing ops, sales, sales ops, you know, customer success, customer success ops, support, support operations. So, you know, in principle, making sure that there's an operational leadership team, an operational capability supporting each one of your field leaders, that's a good move. And then there's typically some horizontals. And the horizontals give you world-class capabilities. Classic horizontals are things like you know, analytics, um, processing systems, enablement, planning and strategy. And, and those kind of horizontals allow you to create a collaboration model across the different functions in terms of how do we do strategy and planning for go-to-market? You know, how do we drive process and systems and think about an end-to-end -end customer experience and a great set of process and systems that enable that? And you know, analytics thinks about you know, how, do you put, how do you make sure that the data that we need to run the business is curated and accurate and timely and then put the analytics capability on top of that? So your operational and your business leaders aren't digging deep in the organization to find the critical metrics to run their business. They've got an analytics capability that's providing that and turning the data into insights and what actions should we take from the insights. So really two kind of groups, operational groups and then horizontals, which are you know global capabilities. I like that. How you, operational groups, I kind of viewed them in my head as vertically aligned to like the different yeah. business units per se, whether it's sales, yeah. customers, it business marketing. Units, it could be geos, it could be functions, you know, however you've yeah. organized, you go to market teams, really. And in the PTC world, that's, you know, marketing operations, sales operations, customer success operations, partner operations, service operations, and then the horizontals, as it were, were planning and strategy, enablement, customer training, analytics, incentives. 
Oh, wow. Okay. And how did that, I'm just curious, obviously PTC is, you know, a mature company at this stage, uh, you know, very large revenue figure, but when you were building that out at Carbon Black, what were the, mm. you know, could you compare and contrast a little bit? It's a really good question because in, in the PTC world, there's a, a counterpart to myself, a guy called Paul Lenfest, and he looks after central operations and central operations do things like, you know, change programs, IT, a lot of the, the more back office topics. So for me, I could focus more on the front office while Paul worked more on the back office. And that, that's a great partnership in our organization. But in the carbon black world, um, that, that function wasn't there. It was a little raw. You know, you'd have an IT team and Okay, so I needed to kind of put a wrapper around IT. So I created a process and systems group. So in, in the carbon black world, it was, you know, we had marketing operations, sales operations, customer success operations, and then process and systems, planning and strategy. So in that in that situation, we evolved the, the revenue operations team. We put more of a kind of central focus around um, process and systems data because we needed uh, to accelerate the evolution of our infrastructure, you know, of our revenue engine. And it was it was too fragmented. The, the process and systems work was too fragmented across the organization. When you have a good revenue operations team organization, what is it able to facilitate for the organization? Because a lot of times, you know, maybe before you set up a RevOps organization, you're going to have someone in marketing ops working mm-hmm. underneath the marketing team, someone in sales ops working under the sales ops team, and maybe even customer success ops, which is becoming a more popular hire in the customer success team. But what are the, like, the insights you're able to, to kind of glean by bringing them under one group mm-hmm. called RevOps? Yeah, really good question. I think it starts with planning and strategy. So if you think about think about like when you have those operational groups sitting with the functional teams, and then as a COO or as a CRO, you know how easy is it for you to generate to define your uh, your strategy? Typically, pretty hard. You've got a number of functional leaders that you're working across, and you're you're really trying to work with them to define that strategy. Well, in the RevOps world. You have a revenue operations team, you have a revenue operations leader, and as part of that group, you have a planning and strategy team. You know, you have a team that can actually run your go-to-market strategy conversations. Like, what should that process be for strategy development? Remember, strategy is a process at the end of the day, right? You're looking at, you know, what do you do? You get everybody's goals out the door, you know, nice on time, as you would expect from a good operational group, and all the quotas are out there, and everybody knows the way to, have, you know, how to win and march forward. But then you're getting into management operating rhythms and you say, right, well, we just said that we were going to go and attack these sections of the market. And, you know, how do you line up your management operating rhythms and your QBRs to go and validate the fact that you're just going to go and win where you said you were going to win? And what were the issues to get there? And you had a bunch of assumptions in your planning process. Let's build your planning assumptions back into your QBR process and hold your team accountable to achieving those milestones along the way. So it's not just planning and strategy. It's the operational infrastructure you put in afterwards that keeps the t- that maintains the team alignment. You know, And then you kind of bump into your analytics group and say, well, actually, you know, I need the analytics to kind of go and demonstrate that the, the strategies that we put in place were correct. So the whole thing kind of hangs together. It's like, well, why would you fragment that organization around all of your functions? Why not bring it into one group so you can have this continuum from strategy planning, you know, operating rhythms, analytics, you know, management accountability. So yeah, no, I, I think yeah, it, great it makes the organization more nimble to, you know, look at the picture from a macro perspective, but then operationalize it in a cohesive nature, uh, which I think is, you know, a lot of times when people operate in silos, like you said, the price change, how does that impact marketing? How does that right. impact customer support? How does that impact sales? If it's done in a silo just by the product team, you kind of lose that connective tissue and that that kind of holistic strategy. And then think about like enablement from so you've, you've got all your, the tip of the spear, you've got all your field people out there 
uh, in front of the customers every day. How do you then make sure they're aligned to the key messages that you thought through in this whole strategy process? You want to kind of go and win and we're going to go march that way and this is how we're going to go and do it. How do you translate that back down to simple messaging back to your field teams on what do we say in front of the customer? How should we act? Which assets and tools should we use? How do we make sure that that customer engagement is aligned to the strategy that we just defined and the way we're going to win? And that's where your enablement teams start kicking in. You know, you create enablement programs across your different communities again in the customer lifecycle, you know, sales, technical, partner, customer success. You got your big four kind of enablement programs and you want those enablement programs to be, you know, helping to pivot your frontline employees to line up to the same message that you had in your strategy. You know, this is how we're going to win. This is how we're going to beat our competition. So, you know, it's all it's all connected, really, from your strategy and planning through your operational execution into enablement of your frontline employees. And, and, and again, having the enablement function and as part of revenue operations allows you to, you know, make this almost like a, a virtuous circle. You know, you kind of go through your planning and strategy, you go through your operational execution, you enable your field, and you end up with these waves of enablement. You know, we do a quarterly enablement program for all of our field employees. So, Every quarter, we're assessing with our stakeholders what it is we, re- how we can make our frontline employees even more effective and align to our message. And we run that as a quarterly program. So it's four kind of quarterly programs running, and uh, it's all connected back to our strategy and our stakeholders. You know, across product or marketing and sales on where we feel we can help our frontline employees be most effective. Yeah. It also, see, you know, a lot of times you think about like when you think about sales strategy, you think, okay, well, we do that at our sales kickoff, right? Once a year. But if you're able to get these analytics, you can be much more tactical and make those changes throughout the year. Like you said, quarterly, maybe even to the point if you're collecting that data and then providing different types of sales enablement programs to help refine based on what you're collecting and measuring, I think can be pretty powerful. I, I yeah. Like what, what, what are the concepts huge advocates for is the concept of an academy. So back into that enablement for a moment, you know, you, you think about, okay, well, what is an academy? Well, We've got tons of frontline roles, right, out there. And each of the roles need a learning path, which is specific to them, whether you're a partner seller or a seller, you know, salesperson or a customer success individual, sales engineer. So you create a learning path. You have an academy. It's a concept. You create a learning path for that particular role. You know, you have uh, basic, intermediate, advanced, you know, new hire. And you want to, you know, try and push your organization through to more advanced training for all of your teams. But then to your point, when you're looking at your metrics and you kind of go, well, I wonder why we're a little off over here in our partner world. And you realize that you haven't trained half your partners in terms of what your propositions are, right? Like what's, the, what's the level of education in our partner sales organization on how to pitch our solution, how to win against the competition? And then you realize that, you know, X percent of your partner sellers are actually, you know, trained only to a certain level. You really want all your partner sellers trained to as high a level as you do with your field sales teams to win. And using concepts like a field academy and an enablement program, and one of the pillars of that being around your partners, you know, really helps kind of push forward the level of uh, capability of your partner sellers as well as an extended, you know, part of your network. And um, you know, you can see that again through enablement through concept of an academy through your metrics that you're reviewing and your reviews on a quarterly basis, you can see how mature, how engaged are our partner sellers in our enablement program. Is there more work we need to do? And we've, you know, we've done quite a lot of work really in kind of lifting what we've done for our sales enablement, bringing it over and rolling it out into our partner, into our partner organizations. And we're in the middle of uh, doing a wide scale, you know, partner enablement program right now. So, I think the benefits are pretty obvious for a RevOps organization. I guess I want to ask you, for a startup, 
when do you think is the right time to build this? Because obviously it's not going to be there from day one. But when, at what point in their maturity life cycle should they start thinking, all right, time to do some consolidation, put, bring in a RevOps organization? And then the second question to that is, where do you think RevOps most effectively sits? Because I've seen it sit in different parts of the organization. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious to get your perspective on that. Uh, yeah, I'm an advisor to a couple of companies and, and they're the smaller firms and they're, they're more in the uh, in the startup mode. And it is an, an interesting question. At what point in time do you consolidate your operational teams into a RevOps group? It's probably the same kind of time as you assign a, a COO. I think is you know, if, if you're putting a COO in place, you probably need a revenue operations function. That's like one indicator for me. I think the other indicator really is, you know, if you're getting past 10, 15 employees across your operational teams, there's an opportunity to start thinking about how do you get leverage across those groups? Because you've probably got your marketing ops are off doing one thing, your sales ops are off doing another, and your customer success ops, and you've probably got a couple of training people and maybe an analytics guy and maybe a planning guy. And you're kind of like in that, okay, so they're all, I've, got, I've made my investment, the resources are there. But they're probably all working with different data sets. They're not really, you know, they're probably operating relatively tactical. And, you know, as your CRO or your COO, if you're feeling if you're feeling that you need more support, you know, more capability to drive a, you know, not only an operational dialogue, but maybe more of a strategy alignment. And um, you're looking for accelerated growth, improvement in productivity, better customer experience or employee experience. So they're probably indicators that you need to scale up and maybe think about bringing it together into a RevOps group and bringing a RevOps leader in place. And, you know, from our conversations, it sounds like analytics is sort of core to this operation, right? It's, it's kind of the truth to help dictate strategy, enablement, and execution. What do you consider, you know, those, the analytic measures that are critical for a RevOps leader to kind of consolidate and understand to be effective in their role for a SaaS mm. business? That's an interesting question. I, I mean, I, I think about analytics really in the pyramid, you know, different uh, levels in the organization looking at different types of metrics. So it's almost like in one sense, it's a pyramid in terms of the level of metrics, but in another sense, it's kind of, you've got swim lanes in the pyramid if you're in sales or marketing or customer success or finance, et cetera. Obviously, recurring revenue is critically important. You're looking at net retention rate, which is a very critically important topic as well. You know, are you winning your bookings classically sitting underneath that, you know, churn, so you end up in this kind of pyramid of metrics. You know, are you are you really looking at your land and expand, adopt and renew life cycles? Are they operating effectively and efficiently? That's really where you're getting to. So you end up with this hierarchy of metrics, net retention uh, being a critical one because it's really kind of helping you understand the customers that you have. Are you growing your share in those customers? Because you know, classically from a SaaS perspective, you're not only working through the land. But you want to get quickly through the adopt and into the expand. And, and the expand from a SaaS perspective is not only, you know, more licenses of your existing solutions, but cross-selling into other areas of your platform. And you, you really want to have your sales organization enabled, again, back to that point, you know, enabled focus, uh, top gold on cross-selling. And you can see some of the results ultimately in your, uh, in your net retention rates. You know, are we increasing share? within those particular customers. And then all the classic things that you would imagine, you know, bookings, renewal rates, uh, productivity measures in there in terms of bookings per rep, renewals per rep. But looking at, looking, we look at productivity from a couple of different perspectives, not, not only against the, the bookings or the revenue numbers, but also in terms of transaction rates. So, you know, are you um, not, because large deal sizes can easily skew quickly productivity measures. So looking at uh, activity rates as well, you know, what's, what's how for a mid-market seller, how many deals should they be closing? You know, what's the level of coverage in the pipeline? 
So it's a skill in itself, you know, looking right across that customer lifecycle, making sure you've got the metrics in place, not only for performance, but for productivity and, and then pivoting those metrics more towards SaaS than maybe classic perpetual type models. Is NPS another like statistic you look at or what's your view on that? Yeah, net promoter score. I mean, there's lots of different ways of looking at customer health, by the way, is one of them. In the customer success space, you kind of move a little longer. Right customer lifecycle. And we use Gainsight, by the way, it's a fabulous product with customer health. And we implement a load of work around customer health and customer risk. But when you get a little further down the lifecycle, yeah, NPS is important. And not only when you do your you know, regular surveys, but also just transactionals when you're RevOps leader, I think, to establish an effective revenue operations function. And you know, I think you could probably, you know, it's an interesting blend of skills that you're looking for in that person. You want someone commercially minded, but yet operationally capable, but has an idea around process and systems are relatively structured, but, you know, sensitive to the business issues, you know, can have effective relationships and can operate everything from sensitive compensation topics to, you know, go to market strategy. So, you know, it's quite a blend of skills I think you're looking for when, when you're hiring a leader in. No, that's really insightful to talk about the profile of the leader that would be successful in that type of role. This was a really insightful conversation about all things RevOps. Uh, I think there's a lot of key takeaways here about how you kind of organize your your RevOps team and uh, the processes, the analytics and the enablement that goes along with that and the benefits. I like to end these conversations with uh, a question that has nothing to do with RevOps or SaaS or anything like that, but something that the viewers can take away that humanizes the conversation a little bit. So could you tell uh, us, um, you know, maybe what is your favorite hobby when you're not doing RevOps? Obviously, RevOps is one of your passions, but uh, what is your favorite hobby outside of that? Uh, we're a big snowboarding family, so we did a lot of okay. snowboarding and mountain biking. You're, you're in the mountains now, right? I am. I'm actually at our ski place in Colorado, nice. which, is, uh, which is awesome. Could have done with a little bit more snow this year. But I, I got two older boys now, and I'm, I'm struggling to keep up with them, frankly. Uh, they're, really, uh, they're really challenging me, but they keep me energized and, uh, and young at heart as they uh, run around the place, either snowboarding or bikes or karting or whatever, you know, adrenaline sport comes up next. So yeah, we're a very active family, which is great. It's good, really good fun. And uh, no casts, I can see. So you stay up mostly on the board. Yeah, generally okay. Uh, that's, we've, we've thankfully uh, managed to avoid any more serious injuries, fingers crossed, for some of the crazy stuff that we all do. So, uh, <laughs> it's really good fun. Yeah. That's great. Once again, I want to thank you for your time. This was a great conversation. If listeners would want to get in touch with you, where's the best place to find you? LinkedIn? Oh, yeah. Just um, ping me on LinkedIn, I'm sure. Any specific questions, just uh, just let me know. I'm happy to do any follow-ups. If you're a CRO or a CEO or a COO of your business, it's a, it's a really challenging role. It's a hugely broad role. And having an effective operational group supporting you, I think it's like any leader, right? You want to create the best team. And I think this is one of the best structures that I've seen to really help enable a commercial leadership team to achieve its goals. Yeah. It's definitely one of the, I would say, more prevalent roles we're seeing in go-to-market organizations, especially as they scale to bring in this type of RevOps type function. So this is a great conversation. Thank you once again, Dan, and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rico.